When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talks, even means Nathan Baird and Drew Gillis. So Ryan Day got asked an intriguing question today to start things off, and uh, he was asked to pick between two quarterbacks. He was indecisive with that hypothetical, and he was just as indecisive with the actual quarterback decision. Nathan, we still don't know who Ohio State starting quarterback is. What is going on here? Should be. I guess the, the the way I actually want to form this conversation, because, yes, we can talk about what Ryan Day said. And we'll start there. What did he say? And then after you say that, should fans be worried coming out of we are now 14 days until they have to play a football game and they don't know who the starting quarterback is? So what did Ryan Day have to say about not having a starting quarterback and how should fans feel about where things are right now? No, I thought Ryan Day was like auditioning to be the next host of The Bachelor or uh, Survivor mm. or one of these terrible reality shows where they always drag out the thing at the end. Because the first question he got today was obviously, hey, what, you quarterback? Quarterback? And his response was, Literally. yeah. And he <laughs> took this long drink and it was this long pause. And we're like, we're all just waiting to like, eh? Like, so, yeah, who? And then, uh, and then he's like, no, nah, we still got it. It's still just nobody. It's still still neck and neck. And <laughs> I think an important thing did happen in the way he talked about these guys today, though. Tom McCord and Devin Brown. Because I thought last week it was neither of these guys are playing good enough to be the starter. To be named the starter. He, I think even last week, I think he was like, I think if you put one of those guys out there, Ohio State will score a lot of points. I don't think that's ever really been a, a question here. But last week, the narrative was very much, these guys need to like clean it up. They need to play more consistently. It's not there yet. We still got to push through. So they, you play another week of football. This was all last Monday. And today, Monday, although I guess people are probably listening to this on Tuesday. But today, yesterday, Monday, he, he was speaking much more as like a guy who doesn't have those same concerns. Now it's more like, well, they both played really well on Saturday. They both graded out a champion. They don't, you know, tell us the exact percentages of that. Um, but that they're both playing really well, and it's it's there isn't enough separation to say one guy deserves it more than the other. And he's got time to play with, and I think that's one reason also why he's he's framing it this way because he clearly doesn't, at least publicly, buy into this. You know, something I've theorized about, other people theorized about, that maybe at some point you're going to want to pick one of the two based on some criteria because the more time you give them with the ones, the better 
chance it assures you of having a good performance from them in week one. But he clearly is more concerned about still pushing both of these guys to the top of their potential for this year because they're so closely linked. And I do wonder if there's a little bit here of, he knows the weight that comes with naming the starting quarterback. He knows that once you have that on your shoulder, that there's new attention, there's a new expectation, and he knows what it does to the guy who doesn't get picked. And frankly, in this case, especially if you're not picking Kyle McCord for some reason. So is that a further motivation on his part to withhold that information and let it be more decided on the field by maybe pushing this towards the season opener? Because he, again, today, in maybe the most real way that I've heard him talk about it so far, discussed how they might play two guys in the season opener. I think you made a valid point there with the way he was talking about the quarterbacks this week in comparison to last week. The timeline worked again. The problem is two people followed it, so that's how you end up in this situation. But that timeline of maybe you start seeing it after the first scrimmage, but after that second scrimmage is where you start to see someone, it starts clicking. And they're doing stuff. And you're like, okay, I like what I'm seeing there. And I think both quarterbacks just did it on Saturday. And so if last Saturday was like, well, shoot, neither one of them are emergent. What are we going to do? We don't have a quarterback. To, well, shoot, both of them did what I asked them to do. So I don't know what I'm going to do here. That's how you get into this situation now. And you brought it up, the two-quarterback thing. Where, Andrew, every time we've talked today, it's gone from him answering a question of someone going, would you play two quarterbacks? Him going, we'll see. You never know. Anything can happen. But very much dismissive to today on Monday, excuse me. On Monday, it was more him inviting the idea of potentially doing it. Does it seem like he's more open to the idea? Could Kyle McCord and Devin Brown both play meaningful snaps against Indiana based off of how Ryan Day was talking on Monday? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I think, I mean, you have to kind of take the way that he's talked about it today, but also kind of the way that he's talked about it for the last few weeks, right? You know, I think maybe cynically you think, ah, you know, he's just kind of giving them lip service for a couple of weeks. You know, the last couple of weeks you're thinking, ah, he's just trying to motivate whoever's in second, right? He doesn't want to, you know, tell the guy in first that he's in first. He And today I think might have been a validation of, Okay, maybe maybe there was more to that than than at least I thought. Um, you know, I, I have said that I would start to be worried right around now if you didn't have a guy. Um, I would, you know, I think you can still be a little concerned. the The thing for me though is, you know, Stephen, you said this in our in our stand up afterwards. Ohio State unless something catastrophically terrible happens to them is going to win their first three games of the year. They're going to beat Indiana, Youngstown state and Western Kentucky. So if the race really is this close, then it, then I think it's, it, it's not ideal, but it's okay to play two quarterbacks because you know, what's the alternative here, right? Like, like if you picked Kyle McCord, and you said, you know what, Kyle McCord's the older guy. We're gonna Kyle's the guy. We're gonna start him. And you start Kyle McCord. Kyle doesn't play that well against Indiana. Doesn't look sharp. Doesn't doesn't you know doesn't make the right reads. Whatever whatever you know, fill in the blanks. Then all of a sudden, 
you've got a choice to make where you can either hope he gets better or go to Devin Brown, who's going to play Youngstown State, Western Kentucky, and then he's going to have to play in a massive game at Notre Dame. Or do you just kind of hope Kyle McCord gets better, even though you don't know what's going on? You know, there's a lot of permutations and a lot of variables to this. In my mind, I think if you're going to play both, it's not ideal, but it's fine. You need to have an answer that Sunday. That Sunday is my birthday. So Ryan Day's birthday present to me had better be, hey, we have a starting quarterback moving forward now. Like that is a first off, that's a reminder to our listeners and to both Stephen and Nathan to get me a gift that day. Um, but second off, like that is a reminder of like, look, you, you, you know, they played a Big Ten team. Now you're going to play two teams that one of them's in the FCS and one of them's not in the group. None of one of them's not in the power five you're gonna need some sort of an answer on the on that sunday i think so nathan what we're talking about here is purposefully playing two quarterbacks because we've seen teams like georgia did it in 21 when they went from jt daniels it's destin bennett but i think jt got hurt which opened the door in that situation matt he brought up max duncan duncan today on monday when we talked to him at tcu but even in that situation the starter got hurt and then Max was playing so well that you don't go back to the other the alternative guy. We've seen Michigan do it on purpose in 21 when it was Cade McNamara's job, but J.J. McCarthy had like a role in these little wrinkle packages that lasted the whole season. He even played in the Austin Michigan game. And then last year, they did it. I think Jim Harbaugh said they both would start a game, and then he'd make a decision. But even in that situation, it felt more like, Cade McNamara is your incumbent starter who was just the starting quarterback for a team who just beat Ohio State and got into the playoff. He deserves this opportunity, but it was always going to get to J.J. McCarthy. And then Clemson, this is I, I this, this in short research, Clemson also did it in 2018 when they had Kelly Bryant, who was coming off of making the playoff the year before that with Clemson, but then Trevor Lawrence being the recruit that he was. He let it go four games before double let it go four games before he made a decision. But even in that situation, it felt really similar to what Michigan did last year, where it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. You just want to give the guy his due. There's not a lot of situations like this where it's not you owing one guy something. And it's very much just a neck and neck competition that has gone into the season. Does that have you more or less or the same in terms of, I won't say intrigue, but just, how you're looking at what could happen coming out of this situation. Yeah. And you know, I've never really been against the two quarterback idea. In fact, I think I was even talking about it back in 2021. Like, Hey, yeah. if you don't have a cup, if you don't have an answer, you know, you've, you open now in that case, they were opening against Minnesota. That made it harder. That's even harder than opening at Indiana. So they kind of, and, and Stroud was the best choice there, but in theory, I, I was, I was open to it. And, you know, it's not really I, what I'm trying to drill down on. It's not, you can tell that Ryan Day, it's not that he's never considered it. I don't think they're going to get to Sunday morning and be like, oh, two quarterbacks. Like, well, what do we do now? Like, somewhere in a drawer, there must be a plan, right? But I don't, I I would be surprised if it was the, um, the Michigan 2021 thing. Because that really was... Th- that wasn't a job share. Like Cade McNown or Cade McNown, Cade McNamara. Wow, Cade McNown. Was, wow. Wasn't that bad. Wasn't that bad, Michigan fans. <laughs> Cade McNamara was the starter. 
He was the starting quarterback. He was Michigan's quarterback. And then J.J. McCarthy was like another quarterback that they played. And I, th- it, those roles were very defined. And I don't get the sense that that's what Day is talking about. It sounds much more to me because there was another question I asked today as it related to a topic that's out there, right? The idea that if these guys are neck and neck, it's Stephen, you've brought this up before. The thing that I've said, I've made that analogy before about you got two sprinters and one has bad form. That's the one you take because mm-hmm. you teach him the right form and he'll sprint he'll faster. It sort of applies here, right? Like if you have two guys who are equal, take the guy who is less experienced because when you give him more reps and he really gets all of that time, then that pushes the ceiling higher. And I asked Ryan Day about that, and he was kind of like, eh, I, don't, I don't really agree with that. <laughs> um, he's like, yeah, I actually, but then he, what he said was, actually, in that case, if it's even, if it's truly even, you would start the guy with more experience, at least for the first half. That was the sentence he said, at least for the first half. And that was a couple, put a couple of alarm bells off to me. Number one, it tells me that this is not something that's just fanciful. Like, He's already thinking about it in that in those terms. That if we still are tied going into Indiana, Kyle McCord is starting that game, and Devin Brown will also play. Like that has that wheel has turned in his head it, with those specific names in those specific places. And it also told me maybe that if they had to pick one, that was sort of a clue as to where they might lean for that. That if you if you if it absolutely was the final tiebreaker, he would actually tiebreak on experience over upside especially if the upside came with as we as we talked uh, if 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 the higher ceiling was being held back a little bit by a lower floor for lack of a better term so do we believe him a little more this time cuz i think other times we've been like yeah a little bit more dismissive are both of you we all marked out Mark Kyle McCord to be the starter but to the point i made on the monday pod we said he was going to take the first snap. We were marking down who we thought going to be the first guys to take the field in the Indiana game. We didn't say they would be the starters all year. Are we now all operating under the assumption that both of these guys are going to play against against Indiana? Or is this a situation where we could come in there next Tuesday when we talk to Ryan Day again for game week and things have drastically changed? I So to go to your first question, I believe him more that it's close. Like I, I, I don't know how much I necessarily believed him at, especially at the outset of camp where it's, ah, two great guys just going at each other. Like, I, I don't know how much I believe that at the beginning of camp. I think I believe that way more now. Um, you know, cause I mean, pretty much to a T that fit coach speak. Um, I, so I'm picking up the challenge flag on that play, but I'm also going to throw the challenge flag. Like Nathan, what Nathan quoted him earlier. What did he say? Like, they're both comp- they're both graded out like champions, or I think that was his his, his exact phrase. Yeah, right. They have a they have a, a system, a grading system, and if you achieve, I can't is eighty percent um, on it's it's some percentage of you you have to grade some percentage on a certain percentage of your plays to be a champion. It's a thing that they, mm. they used to release it every week, and now they don't because they didn't like it when we then they started losing it out they started losing the michigan yeah. and they stopped giving us information <laughs> yeah well but yeah so but it's it's, it's a legitimate like, designation it's not just something he's he's conjuring no no I, right uh i just 
the vibe that I got from that was different than what we had whenever the hell we talked to him last, last week, Wednesday, whatever day that was. Like the vibe that I got today was like, look at these two great competitors yeah. going at it. And last week he was like, why isn't anybody winning the job? Like that was the vibe that I got. And, and I think that that goes back to what Steven's first question was like, I, I think they're going to play too. I believe him that, that like that is going to be the plan probably. But I also, I do have a little bit of questions about like what, like it, it just, the switch feels a little, a little murky to me. Like the, the switch in tone, I should say. I, I, yeah, I agree with that. That there was, I thought it was a distinct change in tone. And if I had to mark it down right now, again, I would still mark it down that Comicord takes the first snap against Indiana. I still think that seems like the most likely thing. However, I think maybe the most likely thing he tells us next Tuesday is Kyle McCord is going to take the first snap and Devin Brown will play in that game. Because then it sort of takes the pressure off if things go wrong. No, it, 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 it's, it, it CYAs in a number of ways. <laughs> Has somebody ever uh, trademark that? Um, it, it, it covers his butt in a number of ways. It's, it, if, if something does go awry with McCord, you say, well, I already said I was going to play Brown. He was just, it was just his time to come in. It doesn't look like you're pulling the guy off the field. And it just further gives you more of that game action under which to continue this evaluation. Because at this point, they've done two preseason scrimmages. That's the most like full action that they're going to do. They're not going to do more in practice than they've done in those two scrimmages, right? So what else are they going to really learn from these practice scenarios and, and, and those sorts of things in this next week that would really give them the final answer here? Now, I will say, this. I, the other thing he said today that was very interesting to me was he keeps saying neck and neck, neck and neck, neck and neck. And he's still saying it today. Ah, oh, too close to call. But he also said today that twice, that two different times in preseason camp, he thought someone was pulling away with his job which tells you maybe it wasn't neck and neck at those instances. So depending on which day we asked him the question, maybe he was lying, maybe he wasn't. But that twice during preseason camp, he thought someone was pulling away with the job. And then the other guy, either that guy stumbled and the other guy took advantage or the other guy just surged on his own. But that I thought was interesting to me that both of these guys have shown something where they could take this job. Maybe that resolves itself in the next week. I don't know. But I still think the most likely outcome right now, the way he talked today, is that Comicord takes the first snap against Indiana, but Devin Brown is has a predetermined role. Whether he tells us for sure, oh, he's coming in in the, uh, the first series of the second quarter, or he's coming in whenever. Like I don't know if he'll be that specific with it. The other thing he said today, too, was that he doesn't mind the other team having to play the guessing game. I don't know that it makes a huge difference in this case between McCord and Brown. I know people think McCord uh, that Brown is is uh, you know uh, Mike Vick back there, but he's not. Um, he's he's a good he's runner not. and probably marginally better than McCord, but it's not going to change. The di- dynamically, they're roughly the same quarterback, so I don't know that that changes Indiana's game plan a whole lot. They've got a lot to worry about <laughs> in this game more than just that. So. And then for another opponent, though, like maybe that's maybe the other part of this plan is if you're playing two guys for the first three games and they're both doing well, I don't know what Notre Dame plans for. I don't know what Notre Dame thinks. 
Um, especially if there is, if they do start to show some dynamic differences, we keep talking about who's going to take the first snap. I mean, if Ryan, like if Ryan really wanted to commit to the bit, just send both of them out there for the first snap and have both of them line up in the backfield. You have four receivers on the field. You put Carnell Tate out there. So everybody loses their mind about that. And then you just have two quarterbacks back there and then bada boom, bada bing. You've got Brown and McCord, and everybody's freaking out for like two or three plays because they don't know what the hell's going on. So just do that. Like see, if you're if you're gonna commit see, to this, commit to the bit. See, you're new to this here, still Andrew. Um, <laughs> the quarterback thing would be interesting, and I think everybody would be up in arms about it. I'd be more interested in the fact that they finally put four wide receivers on the field because I'm kind of asking for that for a little bit. So, but. To get, that would, no, that would saying, be the man. second least interesting thing happening on that formation. <laughs> if there are two quarterbacks out there, <laughs> the four receivers would be the second most interesting thing. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so, it's funny. Ohio State, Ryan Day has turned Ohio State into a quarterback destination. And yet there are still certain things from Ohio State's past when it comes to quarterbacks that he still can't escape. Obviously, when people think, oh, a quarterback competition going into the season and then playing two guys, the immediate thing is 2015 with Cardell Jones and JT Barrett, where you got one guy who replaced your Heisman Trophy candidate in Braxton Miller and became a Heisman Trophy candidate in his own right, JT Barrett. And then the other guy replaced JT Barrett and then won them a national title. So it was it was a mess. It was always destined to be a mess. So you have that one. You have the Terrell Pryor, um, Todd Beckman situation, which is more typically what you see sometimes where you have the incumbent guy versus the guy who's clearly the future. You have the Troy Smith, Justin Zwick situation where Troy Smith got into some like off the field problems. So he got suspended for a game. And so then that played out the way it did, where it was kind of a back and forth going into that 2005 year and part of why they lost the Texas game. But it goes back further than that. 1996, yeah, 1996 and 1997, they actually played two quarterbacks the whole year. Stanley Jackson and Joe Germain. That whole year, just Stanley Jackson, 96, had 151 passes. Joe Germain had 130 passes. The next year, 97, Stanley Jackson had 125 passes, and Joe Germain had 184 passes. So they've done – the other situations were just messes that were created – that probably didn't need to be messes, but we're talk we talk about the Cooper era a lot and how much talent they had on that team in relation to how much they didn't succeed sometimes. Maybe some of this is because they were playing two quarterbacks and didn't pick a quarterback because in those years in 1996, they went 11 and one with the loss to Michigan. And then in 1997, they went 10 and three. So I, I when you look at history, Nathan, History has told Ohio State anytime you go into a season without knowing who your starting quarterback is or having whatever conversations or any level of a battle, things go left to different degrees. So I'm asking you, Nathan, what about this one will be different? Or is it just because Ryan Day has built up enough equity with the quarterback position that we believe in it a little bit more if he does it? So there are there are two things, again, that I think are important here. One is, as I already alluded to, a lot of those instances that you mentioned, there was kind of a clear, even with Cardell Jones and JT Barrett, right? There's a clear stylistic difference between those quarterbacks. And so you you make Cardell Jones a starter, and then JT Barrett was kind of the you know goal line guy, red zone guy, whatever you want to call it, 
for a little while. And then, then JT Barrett took the job back. And that was, I think a different kind of, that was, I, I agree a little bit more with, with the situation where urban Meyer was in kind of a tough spot there between which guy who was responsible for the national championship. Do you pick still think that could have been handled mm-hmm. better, but that and some of the other examples were, were guys where one guy was had a different skill set than the other. So I again, as I said before, that isn't really the scenario here. The other thing is, I don't think Ryan Day, he still, as much as he's talking about playing two quarterbacks, I'm still only compartmentalizing that to the Indiana game. I'm not thinking Ryan Day is talking right now that this team will have a two quarterback identity. And I think that's an important distinction because I, I think that ultimately it would be a situation where like right now, I mean, from the way he tells it, you know, they've, they've, they've assessed every piece of information from practice. They've graded every thing that they could grade. They've done the two preseason scrimmages and, and had those guys both go out and try to lead. He said, you know, they both had a two minute drill on Sunday. They both led a touchdown. Like those are like positive things to hear when they're probably going against the first string defense, especially a defense that has been playing better. Like, they, they they feel like they're getting good play out of both of the guys. So I I would think that when I hear him talk, I'm hearing a guy who's kind of what we just alluded to, that maybe they've run out of, they've run, these guys have both exhausted the number of tests that they can put in front of them at this level. I'm trying to think of the analogy here. We always come up with such fun analogies. Like they've run out of, like I can't, they can't grade them anymore at this level. They have mm-hmm. to, they're like both, they both have to, uh, they're, they're both getting bumped up a grade or whatever. And like, you know, they've, they're, they're doing too well in first grade. So they're just going to get to go to second grade early. And that's the game next uh, week from Saturday against Indiana. And then that will help them determine which one actually is more ready because Ryan day has said so many times in preseason camp, like, Hey, you just, so you don't really know until they play. You don't really know until they play. And maybe that's one of those things as Andrew was alluding to before that sounded a lot like coach speak until it's not. Sometimes it it's it's it is coach speak like so many times. He probably said the same thing about Justin Fields and uh, Chris Chuganov or whoever in he 2019. Uh, exactly. So here though, it's it's not BS anymore. Like it actually might be the thing that they have to do in order to make the final decision. It's it's like overtime, right? They're just taking it in overtime. You played you played a full game. You played you had a full spring and a full summer and a full preseason camp. And and you had bowl season last year, so that's like four quarters. You got the end of four quarters, and they're still tied. So you got to go to you got to take it into overtime. The more I sit with it, the more we sit here and talk about it on this pod, the more I just think about it. I think it's probably a good thing the room probably got to this place where it's two guys where the, the reason you haven't picked one is because they're both doing everything that they need to do to win a job. Because you got asked today if one of the guys wasn't here. So if you only had Kyle McCord or you only had Devin Brown. Would you feel comfortable with that person being the starter? He said yes. And that's part of the problem is you got two guys at this point who probably have won the starting quarterback job. The problem is they have to go up against another guy who also probably won the starting quarterback job. And when you're building a room where every year you want a top tier guy, and Nathan, this goes back to when we were sitting in his office before the 21 season, and we had been having conversations on the pod about, you know, is it the right idea to go after a guy every year? Or should he take the Lincoln Riley approach where it's every other year and then you get a guy who's basically a glorified backup? 
in the years you don't do that. And you were adamantly on the side of, no, you do it this way, where you take your quarterback every single year. We won't say whether you're right or wrong about that. I guess this battle will tell us. But when we sat in his office, he kept using the phrase, what if you're wrong, right? And we then saw that play out in 21 with Clemson and DJ Uyunglele. We saw that play out with Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. It doesn't mean Nathan was right. It just means that we heard Ryan Day say something. No, As he sits there and cheeses. I'm laughing because Toby has joined the pod. Andrew oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, Andrew is recording at my yeah, house. I, I so muted people myself. can probably hear my dog barking. <laughs> but yeah, we've got uh, behind closed doors. Uh, Toby is. Uh, I think Toby wants to say hi, but yeah, everybody's got something to say about the quarterback. So I respect it. Yeah, yeah. What, should, what, what do we think? What do we think Toby would say? I have bark, no idea. But, give me food. Bark. Play he, with yeah, me. Yeah, he just said. <laughs> he just said his only contribution. Yeah, I, I think that. Eventually, it's it's almost the opposite of what if you're wrong. It's the what if you're right. What if you're right about everybody in the room? Then it creates oh. a situation like this where it does have a battle that has to go into the season, but for all the good reasons why a battle would last this long. Yeah, but the only person this is a problem for right now, in Ryan Day's mind, is us, who he doesn't care yes. about. <laughs> yeah. and, and maybe, you know, and he, he understands that fans probably want to know who the starting quarterback's going to be. But I think he wants, mm-hmm. he knows that they care about that much less than if he beats Michigan yeah. on November 25th. So he's going to worry about what it takes to be, to do that. And if that means they don't know who the starting quarterback is yet, then that's, I think, fine with him. And I, I texted this out the other day. Like, there is a part of this that is the byproduct. It's exactly what Ryan Day was going for. Maybe it hit harder than he was anticipating, but this mm-hmm. is kind of what it is supposed to be to be the quarterback at Ohio State under Ryan Day's concept it's that you know you you're gonna have two really good quarterbacks every year where one of them is gonna get a really disappointing piece of news and then you have to wait out the winner to see how it resolves and see if that guy's still gonna be around the next year to know if you should Mm -hmm. be around the next year and by the way you know who's been really impressive to a lot of people who've been watching in camp this fall Lincoln Keenholz like they think they've got a pretty good quarterback coming in Lincoln Keenholz. They got one coming right behind him in Aaron Noland that we were writing about over the weekend. Who started his season in impressive fashion. Like this thing's going to just keep churning. This is what it's going to be every year. There's going to be a once in a while a really good quarterback is going to get disappointed and leave Ohio State because he went neck and neck with another one and didn't work out. They had to pick somebody. Lincoln Kingholz is actually probably the most athletic quarterback in that room right now. And the, the people in the room will tell you that. And so for people who are looking for drastic athletic differences between Devin Brown and Kyle McCord, that's actually where it's different. Is Lincoln Kingholz is probably the best this raw athlete, regardless of what sport we're talking about. And to your point, yeah, I mean, Aaron Nolan played on national television against another elite quarterback recruit that in Julian Lewis, who Ohio State is highly in on, who also might be in this room. Taven St. Clair, who might be a five-star in the 25 class, was committed to Ohio State. Do five touchdown passes on Friday night. So this is, I am wondering if this is where we're at, though, with the competitions. If it's going to always be like this, where the days of C.J. Strauss pretty much wrapped up this job by the end of the spring. Justin Fields has had this job basically since the moment he went to church reporter and chose Ohio State. I'm wondering how much more often we get this version of a competition where, you know, it's the Monday before game week prep and we still don't know who the starting quarterback is. And maybe our timeline for how he picks the quarterback might have to change because, the, as your, to your point, the level – there's not Chris Chuganoff and Gunnar Hoax as your QB2s anymore. 
And there's not going to be a true freshman Kyle McCord who, yes, he's a five-star, but he just got here nine months ago. It's going to be hard for him to make up that gap. It's going to be a third-year guy who probably sat around and is ready to go, and a second-year guy who's also a top 100 recruit who thinks one year into the system, I'm ready to run this program. And so I wonder that. Do we need to maybe change going forward? Not with this one, but if this happens again next year, depending on what happens with this battle, if Kyle McCord wins it and then is a one and done, or if it happens again two years from now, maybe we go, hmm, we're not 100% expecting 14 days before the game starts that there's going to be a pick of a starting quarterback because you're choosing between five-star top 50 recruit, five-star top 50 recruit. Well, I think it's going to be so rare that there's no incumbency, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, it's 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 weird how that worked out this time. I don't know how often that's. I think in Ryan Day's mind, there will always be. Well, that's sort of what happened here, actually. I guess that you've got he wants a starter who he can have. He he likes having established starters to get the mm-hmm. starter established. You do have to pick someone, but then like having them for a second year is or third year even if it's the right guy i think is what he really wants um and in that scenario you would hope that that second guy i guess is is building some experience but that just didn't you know comic Core didn't get much of a chance to do that Devin brown got zero chance to do that and that's where you get this completely even situation so i don't is this a thing that's going to happen every two years where there's just there's been no incumbency and the backup didn't throw very many passes and now all of a sudden you've got to redo this whole thing I, i think it's possible I mean, that's when Stroud won the job, that's what happened. He had just built the lead, but it was no incumbent. No one had thrown a college pass. So that's where we were. We're going to take a break. Maybe, maybe when we come back next Monday, all this won't matter at all. Ryan Day will just pick a starting quarterback, or maybe he'll say he's playing both. Who knows? It's, you know, it's a, it's quarterback roulette right now. When we come back, that's not the only bit of news we got today. We actually got a lot of a lot of news today. Some other starting positions got locked in, even some stuff that maybe we thought already, but it got va- validated today. So we'll talk about that more when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. We were sending out a lot of texts. Andrew was actually the guy sending out the text today. A lot of texts, a lot of news that came out of the Monday press conference. That's where it goes first, man. Before we put it up on the site, before we pod, before we do a video, it comes straight to your phone, two-week free trial. Um. We're recording this on a Monday, so you're hearing this on Tuesday. This is actually the perfect window to get this right now. We're two weeks from the game day. You'll have it on game day, so you get those texts. We're going to be updating quarterback stuff, maybe. I mean, maybe next week we get in there, and on Tuesday, Ryan Day says officially he's playing both quarterbacks, or he picks one, and we're going to text that out first. So this is the perfect time to sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. Andrew, we thought we knew what the starting offensive line was. And then Ryan Day came in here and stamped it. Who is Ohio State's starting offensive line heading into the 2023 season? Yeah, uh, well, it's some guy named Jimmy um, or Josh or something. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Josh Simmons, who originally was Josh Simmons. We called him Jimmy Simmons on the pod and I think in written articles for like a week or two. Uh, Now he's back to Josh Simmons. Uh, He is likely going to be the left tackle. Um, you know, that was kind of the, I, I think that was probably the not, you know, most surprising news. Cause I mean, if you've been following along here and, you know, following along with Ohio state stuff, you, you probably had a hunch that that was going to happen. Um, Josh Fryer is going to be the right tackle, uh, that again, felt pretty set in stone. 
and uh, Carson Hinsman was the I, I forget the exact phrasing, but I, I I believe it was along the lines of he's in the lead or has a lead or you know is ahead or whatever it was. He he's right now the the leader in the clubhouse to be um, to be the starting center. So you know th- those are kind of the positions that we talked about. Um, you know we talked about Jackson obviously at left guard and Jones at right guard like that that that's you know we we kind of knew that the uh the tackles in the center position were what we really didn't know so uh they're gonna they're gonna keep fryer on the right side luke montgomery is gonna play um you know i thought that that was notable as well you know he mentioned um you know you know somebody asked him like hey like what about the offensive line and one of the first things out of his mouth again like i think we talked about coach speak with the quarterbacks. I think that there is a little bit of kind of reading between the lines, even if it is coach speak with kind of when and how they say certain things. And I think that that has kind of been evident with Luke Montgomery a lot because the coach is never going to get up there and, you know, trash a player. But when you constantly bring his name up, when you constantly mention him as a contender for a starting gig, when you constantly mention him, whenever somebody talks about the offensive line, I understand you, you know, you don't have to necessarily believe that, yeah, hey, that guy's going to start as a true freshman. But I think it did, like you, you had to kind of know going in that Montgomery was going to play, and and Ryan Day kind of mentioned that as well. So, um, you know, the future looks bright for that kid. And um, yeah, it, Ryan Day said it at the end that he, going into I forget if it was going into the fall or from the spring but he feels better about his offensive line depth than he did a handful of weeks, handful of months ago. So um, I think that that's, I mean, pretty, pretty positive and pretty welcome news for Ohio state. Nathan, the exact quote for the Carson Hensman thing was coming out, out of camp, Carson's a little bit ahead of Vic, but that'll keep working that. Like he didn't want to, you know, permeate that. I thought that was a little weird. I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking too deep into things that, but then also with the Luke Montgomery situation, because uh, then he got asked about the Bison role, which is that tackle eligible number 41 jersey in the past that we've seen. Uh, Josh Fryer wore it last year. Donovan Jackson, I think, wore it in 2021 in that mm-hmm. role. He didn't say yes 100%. And part of the reason is because he felt good about the tight end play. And maybe they won't have to use it as much. But is that is that a fair – like that's probably going to be his role this year? Because it seems like a quality role to have for a true freshman who's probably going to be in competition for a starting job a year from now. Yeah, I think it it depends on exactly what they think of him athletically. Um, you know, Fryer had the right combination of build and athleticism for that, and I, I thought Jackson did too. And mm-hmm. so maybe that's something you look at Montgomery for. It's been a nice like way to like break in a, a guy. And yeah. you know, Fryer, in addition to that last year, was their next best offensive lineman. So that really created some interesting like uniform swapping situations from time to time because he had to, there's certain numbers he couldn't wear at, at certain times and it was yeah. it was a little bit confusing but um that wasn't really so much Jackson's role yet but it also portended what he was going to be and you know today when Ryan Day was naming off the offensive line he named off those five and right after Josh Fryer was like but Luke Montgomery's gonna play and that would seem to be maybe the most logical role if you are committing to him playing in some way because I really don't think they want to be just swapping guys in and out of the offensive line they, they've never other than the Matt Jones situation in 2021 where in you were trying to, yeah. to, to sustain Thayer Munford's knees or whatever 
and back. I guess actually it was his back that was the bigger issue, and and maybe get some other guys some breathers here and there. I I, I don't. I think they want a five man unit that goes out and works as a unit. So I could see that maybe being where they look at for Montgomery. And if they do, I think it's just further evidence of where he's at, that he really is close, that he did come in right away and and put himself in a good place. And that means something for this year if something goes awry with someone else. And it means a lot for 2024 and, and where he could be on this line. Real quickly, as far as the Hensman thing, this is one of the ones where I think we've had the right read on this the whole time. And that they just don't want to take a redshirt freshman who hadn't snapped at all until last year and say, the job is yours, young man. Yeah. No, you know, no, no pressure. You it's take, just ease into it. Like, I think it's there. They are kind of keeping a fire lit under him. Not that not, and I'm not insinuating that he was a guy that needs, I, I think that would be true of like anybody in that situation. I'm not trying to disparage Carson Hensman's, work ethic attitude any of that i think it's more just any redshirt for any second year guy um in that situation who hasn't gotten on a field yet i don't think they just hand them the job the next fall and and not kind of insinuate that there's other people involved there that can take the job and Vic cutler was a little bit behind i mean he has to make an adjustment to this level i know he got here in the spring but still uh, you, they talk about how much he changed his body over the over the off season. He's clearly a guy who just had to make this adjustment to this level. And Carson Hensman, despite having much less experience, might have just been ahead of him in his Big Ten readiness at this point. I think Luke Montgomery might be the sixth offensive lineman. I think that's why he keeps talking, bringing his name up. Now, what does that mean on game day between him and Tegra Shibola? If something happens and they need to go to somebody, we'll see. But he keeps making sure to bring Luke Montgomery's yeah. name up. And I think it's because he might be the sixth offensive lineman this year. Maybe I, I we've had this discussion before too. I'm I am curious, and I don't know when we'll get to see it. It'll you know if it matters if it's a tackle or a guard that's the first one to come out. Yeah, and if so, is it is it Montgomery also coming in as a guard? Would it be Enoch Vamahi at guard? Would it be Tegra Shabula mm-hmm. at guard? Even though he's been playing tackle, and maybe he might be a guard long term. That I don't know. I will say, I we were having discussions at the start of preseason camp about. Even once they decide they're starting five, what's the depth like? Is how shaky mm-hmm. is his depth going to be? And I think that's been answered a little bit. They seem to be enthusiastic about where they yeah. can go if they can get down to seven or eight and feel like they're not in a in a pit. Like they feel like they're not falling off the off the off the edge of the earth if they have to go to seven guys. It's not ideal, obviously, but but certainly coming out of the spring, we were like, geez. They got like four, mm-hmm. and now it's yeah. like it, it does. Maybe sound, that wasn't completely fair, but now it it definitely does feel like they're more in, intrigued by their own depth. No, it was fair. They were getting their butt kicked and it looked ugly a lot of the times. It sounds like now that they've got a starting five, they've got at least a third tackle, maybe four, with Tegra Shabola and Luke Montgomery behind the starters, and they've got a third interior guy with Enoch Wamahi. And maybe a second center, just in case something happens. And that, that's a good place to be, where you've got seven, eight, or nine guys, where five legit starters, and then four other guys you at least have some level of faith in if something happens in a short term situation. He said something about Carnell Tate again. I want to hold off on the Carnell Tate conversation because we're going to get wide receiver. As you're listening to this, we'll be getting wide receivers this evening 
I think it's the first evening one that we get. We'll be talking with wide receivers, so there's going to be plenty of Carnell Tate on that podcast. So I'll hold off on that because um, I think at this point we're having it's, – it's not just a, oh, man – Cardinal Tate's doing stuff. Maybe we put it off another year. I think it's worth a legitimate conversation about what Cardinal Tate might be able to do. We're going to take one more break, and then we'll flip sides, because we also got Jim Knowles today, which, I, you know, so like I said, a lot of information came out of today. So we'll talk some Sunny Styles, some CJ Hicks, and some other stuff when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. Nathan... Jim Knowles got asked about starting safeties and specifically Sonny Styles. I think we knew this already, but you know, it's one thing for us to think it. It's another thing for for a head coach. I mean, a, well, yeah, head coach of the defense court, Ryan Day, to say it. And he said Sonny Styles is going to be a starter this year. He said that Lathan Ransom obviously is going to be a starter this year. But there's some conversation at that adjuster spot between three people. Who are those three people? And I don't know, just one of those guys I think is an interesting name amongst those three people. Oh, one of these names is, is a semi-fascinating name, I think. So the question he was asked was, Jihad Carter and Sonny Styles, are they do they have starting jobs? And he said, Sonny does. Mm-hmm. So just very quickly, just like <laughs> that's over. So Sonny Styles is a starter. And I don't think that comes as a shock to anybody. What is more intriguing is at that other safety spot. So the the adjuster, the free safety spot. And he mentioned Jihad Carter, said he'd been banged up, and we have not necessarily seen that in practice. But again, we've seen very little practice. So I assume he's talking about here in the last couple of weeks and not reaching back to the spring because that really hadn't been mm-hmm. a topic of conversation about him at all. And Josh Proctor's name came up again, and he was a guy that was obviously playing a lot with the first string in the spring. And then the third name, which is the really, really intriguing one to me, is Malik Hartford, the true freshman who has impressed people going back to the spring and has undergone one of the more impressive body transformations. Um, I can't remember the exact weight amount that he's put on since he got here, but it's it's a lot. I texted about it a couple weeks ago. I know that he's he's he's. Not quite to 200 yet, but but Mickey Mirati thinks he's going to cross that going into next year. That and, and and what that's meant for him to just sort of transform his body that way and and get himself ready. I think that's if you're talking about a position like that, that could be a hurdle for a true freshman to come in and be physically ready to play a physical position like that in the Big Ten. And it sounds like he did that and more. So. A really intriguing name to hear. It would be a little bit of a surprise to see him still start on opening day, but we're also, our ears, our eyes are uh, open to the idea of Ohio State just being a little bit more multiple back there than they were in Jim Knowles' first year. Andrew, there's one other defensive pl- place where I think that was the most noteworthy thing. One, he said Jack Sawyer looked dominant. So that's another good sign of maybe Jack Sawyer should have just been a defensive end all along and not mess around with Jack. But that is what it is. It's in the past. He talked about C.J. Hicks and Mitchell Milton in this Jack position and what could be coming up. What did, what, what did J- Jim Knowles have to say about C- those two players and how in the Jack position and how much they may or may not use it this year? Well, you know, I think the first thing with CJ Hicks is that, you know, you, you look at him and you are like, oh my God, that's, that's a, that guy's a first off the bus type of guy. You know, that's a guy that, um, you know, 
you just you you want to get on the field. And I think that he kind of echoed that a little bit, um, you know, when he talked about Hicks. And, you know, the thing that I thought was interesting, because I believe this was the same conversation, was he was talking about getting guys at linebacker and, and kind of moving guys around to different spots and, and kind of making sure that, okay, look, you know, I need to do a better job. I think his exact quote was, I need to do a better job making sure that, um, you know, that we're kind of better prepared for the end of the season. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know if, they, if it was that conversation or if it was a uh, Cody Simon conversation, but, you know, he kind of talked about using linebackers a little bit and kind of kind of rotating them through throughout the beginning part of the year. So I think, you know, you want to get both those guys on the field. It's just a matter of when and how, um, you know, I mean, we talked about this in our video. I mean, you've got JT and, and Jack Sawyer at defensive ends. Like, you know, that's that's a really, really strong one-two punch. And then, you know, Knowles also mentioned Caden Curry and Kenyatta Jackson in that group as kind of elite pass rushers. And it's like, all right, well, you, you kind of run out of space. So it sounds like a position that they want to utilize, like especially like CJ Hicks. It sounds like a player that they want to utilize. It's just going to be a matter of making sure that you have the right situation to get them on the field. So, Nathan, based off what you heard Noel say today, should we have an expectation? How big of a role should the, will the Jack have, in your opinion, do you think the Jack will have this year? When you're talking about a situation where, as Noel said, they have four guys at defensive end that they can play, one of which is Kenyatta Jackson, whose athletic profile might make up for not having a Jack on the field. And then JT and Jack, what they bring, he said, Caden Curry has just been making plays since he got here. How much, he said, Mitchell Melton might, it might just be in his best interest to just be a hand in the dirt guy. He was, what he was talking about exploring, putting guys in the right position for the long term. How much is the Jack actually going to have a role this year? And I don't know, or is it just something that maybe we need to wait another year before we see the full fledge of it just because of what the personnel is here? It might be that second thing. I mean, I, I certainly don't expect him to use it as much as he did last year, and they didn't use it mm -hmm. as a base part of the defense, obviously, last year. It was a it was a package thing for Jack Sawyer, who didn't exclusively do Jack things. He would also just play defensive end sometimes last year. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm just really skeptical of how much they're going to use it this year. And part of it is, especially today, like so much of the of the Jack conversation has been, and this is his word straight from him, from Jim Knowles, has been oh, but Mitchell Melton. When Mitchell Melton comes back, Mitchell Melton's the yeah. Jack. We're gonna Mitchell Melton's gonna be our Jack. Just wait. He hasn't. He's been hurt, but when he comes back, and then today it was like, eh, he maybe he's just be a defensive end. <laughs> so, uh, so now is that the avenue that he uses to get C.J. Hicks on the field more? Maybe, maybe that is the the wrinkle that gets him on the field more. I just don't understand um, if if it has to make sense schematically. It can't just be the excuse to get him on the field in the you know early parts of games when games are still yeah. to be decided. I don't think that is I don't think that serves the team purpose really, right? So I I wonder if this is just one of those things that it, it, because it's not like he only did this at Oklahoma State. He did this at Duke. He did this in the MAC too at um, where was he? Western Michigan. Like mm -hmm. he's used the Jack for a hot minute now. And it's so part of his identity as a defensive coordinator. But I think that second thing you said, there's something to be said for that, that Larry Johnson and the whole staff were not recruiting 
for the no. Jack when they signed JT Tumaloa, Jack Sawyer, Caden Curry, and Kenyatta Jackson. They were out trying to get the best rush ins in the country, the best hand in the dirt rush ins in the country. So if you can always have two of the best rush ins in the country on the field together, why wouldn't you do that? That, that, I don't that know was, what I. It, you know what I mean. Yeah, last year, yeah, last year it was a pretty specialized package. Like from my recollection, and I know that we talked about it at the time. It seemed like they would bring that in when teams were penned a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like Jack Sawyer would come in and play the Jack when teams like started drives. Maybe Ohio State had punted their starting drives inside their own fifteen or whatever. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's something that he still believes in that it has a, more of a purpose there, but. I don't know, man. I, I if the, the they're talking a lot about, they talk a lot about how good Kenyatta Jackson is. Today, mm-hmm. Jim Knowles was talking a lot about how good Caden Curry is. They're yeah. clearly, uh, they clearly like JT Tumalowau and Jack Sawyer. So they're talking about how much all those guys need to can go out and be awesome at the jobs that they have, and then we keep bringing up the Jack thing because it's just been out there and something we're curious about, but I don't, they don't talk about CJ Hicks quite the same way they talk about those defensive ends. Right. I think they talk about like he needs to play, but I, I think they talk about all those other guys as being a pretty elite unit. So I don't know what the resolution is to that. I think CJ Hicks does need to play. I just think you need to be really careful based on last year's example, how much you mess around with the Jack on a on a defense that isn't that wasn't built to use it to begin with. I think I think from an athletic profile they do talk about CJ Hicks the same way they talk about Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry. The difference is CJ Hicks is sitting behind a consensus second team All American in a two and a half year starter at linebacker while Caden Curry and Kenyatta JT and Jack might be might have an all-American level season. But they have not had those so far. So, but also they play positions that naturally rotate. So right, you do need right. more bodies in those situations. I agree with you. I think that it's this Jack it's not coming becoming the bullet quite yet because I do think there is a future with it here that was never going to pan out here for Ohio State with that bullet position. But I do think the Jack position has often been born out of the situations and personnel that were at Jim Knowles' disposal. And I think if we get him next week, I think I might ask him some of this. Because listen to the schools you named. Those are not national championship caliber programs that he was at. So, you know, when you're a schemer and you're also at places where you probably have to scheme a little bit more because there isn't five stars and four stars all over the place. That's how you get positions like the Jack. That's how you get the schemes that he's come up with. Now, I'm not saying he needs to back off from those schemes, but I'm do, I am saying that he said something in the spring about not really realizing how much talent was at his disposal last year because he's not, probably not used to that. He's probably not used to positions being two and three guys deep. Now that's going to be habitually his situation at Ohio State. So I do wonder how much that evolves not just with the Jack, but in general, that's how you get to a space now where he's saying we can be a little bit more situational with some of these matchups and how we package things together and not just play these 11 guys at all times. Maybe he doesn't have to be as reliant on the Jack at Ohio State the same way he had to be reliant on it at Oklahoma State and everywhere else that he'd been in his career. So I I think there is a future for the Jack 
I just think that it might take a little bit longer for it to be an absolute necessity because the defensive line, because to Brian Hartline's point, you're, if you're t- putting a Jack on the field, you're taking a defensive end off, off the field. And are you really taking Jack Sawyer or JT Tuimaloa off the field for CJ Hicks right now? Probably not. You're just kind of running out of, you're running out of space there. You know, you're, you're running out of bodies there. Like, I think we had this exact conversation with the tight ends where it's like, all right, you know, do they play more tight ends this year? It's like, I, maybe like in certain situations, like, like, you know, I think the, the thing that I said, you know, during our standup was like, all right, line them up and t- like point out who you're taking out of the game, like point who you're taking off the defense. Like when, when now, and there are certain situations where that's going to make sense, right? Like there are certain situations where you're going to be like, Oh, well we want this situation. We want this, 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 and this, but like, it's just, it's a hard game to play when when you're when you're that good. You don't want to take certain guys off the field. So yeah, I, I totally get that. Yeah, I think we. I, I, I'm trying to. Th- I think if, if they're gonna if there's 70 plays in a game, how many of those are jack snaps? I would in meaningful way in meaningful jacks jack snaps. Not fourth quarter of the game's over, so you're getting CJ. Higgs. How many meaningful snaps does CJ Higgs play at the jack in a game against Notre Dame? Is it 15? Is it 10? Is it 25? Notre Dame might be zero. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I'd yeah. have to go back and look at it. I just, if I'd have to go back and, cause I remember tracking early last year, how much, how many snaps they were using the Jack and it wasn't a bunch. And, mm-hmm. and again, it was so what's some the Jack specialized game, situations. Oh, so on the schedule right now, if you had, without putting snaps to it and anything else, just, I mean, listen, Face value, was, what's was, the game on Ohio State's schedule that's the most jack-heavy game for C.J. Hicks, in your opinion? I just, uh, man. I mean, they didn't use it at all in the spring. No. And the guy that we thought was going to play it the most, now he's talking about him not playing it at all. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that it's even going to be a significant part of the defense. I just don't know that it needs to be. And I don't know that Jim Knowles is even really talking about it so much as needing to be a big part of the defense. I, he still has it in his mind that that's the long term plan, but they keep doing it with with a with a roster that was not designed for that. The thing about what he did at Oklahoma State with Malcolm Rodriguez, and no, they weren't national championship caliber, but they like almost made the playoff that year. And the big part of it that's was true. the defense that was like one of the best in the country, and that guy was a huge part of it. So, like the the way that they had success with it at Oklahoma State was off of the success he'd had with it before. And so he was always recruiting and his staff was always recruiting with that position in mind. And this thing that's been set up here at Ohio state with the exception of, I guess, even, even probably guys like Malik Harford, like, I don't know when they finally committed, but a lot of that, uh, Hey, was in the barn before Jim Knowles got here. So this is still a roster that was designed under a, a jackless world. So it just makes me, I think this is going to end up ultimately being something that we probably, I almost think we should just do a moratorium on the Jack talk until we see them actually use it in a real way. It's, it's okay, gotten so, that way, you know, it, it kind of got that way with a bullet of, after a while that like they kept talking about it and then we kept asking about it and they would sort of answer our questions, but then they never really used it in the way that we thought it was going to get used. So I, I, I am almost, you know, until they actually show it, I'm I'm inclined to 
think it's not going to be a significant part of this defense. The only so person on this to- roster who committed to a Jack world was Joshua Mickens, who is a true freshman right now in the defensive line room. Right, they right. recruited him with the idea of the Jack. Everybody else who was in the front seven, because CJ Hicks had already signed before Jim Knowles was hired, because you remember he was committed, recruited by Al Washington and such. So Joshua Mickens is the only proof in the pudding right now that the future is Jack. Go ahead, Andrew. Well, I, I was going to say, so let's let's make Steven's question a little bit more specific. Don't have to say a game necessarily, but like, what is the situation? Like, what is a Jack situation for Ohio State? Like, what is like, what is the what do you think the ideal scenario that you would use that that position um, when you, when you need to? I mean, CJ can get after the passer, so. Instead of a, now we're getting really creative here, but we we can do whatever we want. Instead of having a, a traditional Rushman package, it would be Mike Hall, Jack Sawyer, and JT Two and Maloa yeah. with their hand in the dirt, and then CJ Hicks on the field. That, yeah, that was what I was gonna say. You're you gonna kick go one tell, of the guys inside. You're gonna go tell Larry Johnson that there's no more Rushman package. <laughs> um, no, I'm saying that would be his new Rushman package. I no, I am I not going to tell Larry Johnson. Oh, I know that. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think Larry Johnson wants to take another defensive lineman off the field in he does that not. scenario. Because it's all it's all those things like okay, CJ Hicks is is a linebacker who can rush the passer. Can he rush the passer better than the rush ends that they have? Is the whole thing here? I'm just, I'm still just skeptical. Maybe especially early in the year, they just, it, it seemed to be so de-emphasized. And I mean, I, I posed the question to Knowles a few weeks ago at the start of the spring, like or start of the camp, like if if you screwed up Jack Sawyer last year, why aren't you also worried about screwing up C.J. Hicks? And he said that they're different athletes. That yeah. you know, it's it's it. He thinks that he would better adapt to this role, but even then, I get confused sometimes. You know, Jim Knowles wants the Jack to evolve into this thing where that person can like do all these reads on their own and be the king of the jungle as the Leo or whatever. And then he talks about C.J. Hicks as being a guy that like, oh, you just tell him what to do and and you can direct him and he'll go attack. And that doesn't sound like what he describes that position being I'm, I'm i just i get confused by it and until they i i'm tired of talking to them about it i want to see what they actually do with it in a game when they did it in a game last year it was marginal and it didn't work all that great i'm not sick of the quarterback talk yet it's uh but it's coming you can kind of feel the fatigue coming you just want to kind of know what's going on there i am almost i think the jack conversation has reached its talking limit at this point because you almost go, you're going in circles. It's like, okay, it's this cool thing, but like, yeah, do they really need it? You know, <laughs> I don't know if they need it the same way they need it at Ohio State. So that'll do that. I think we're, I think everybody's kind of tired of listening to us too. It's been over an hour. That'll wrap up this Buckeye talk. Like I said, we'll be talking with wide receivers on Tuesday. So we're going to save a bigger conversation about Carnell Tate, uh, Noah Rogers, Bryson Rogers, and Brandon Innes, who have all lost their black stripes as you're listening to this pod. So the the wide receivers are the first position group that are done losing their black stripes as far as Western are concerned. So we'll be back after that. Sign up for the text 614-350-3315. All that information going to your phone first. Two-week free trial. This is the perfect time of year to sign up. Actually, maybe we should have a conversation about that at some point like what's actually the perfect time to sign up for the text is it right as is it as the season is starting is it in the 
the deeps of the the depths of the off season where you're scrounging the internet for information, or is it during a bowl week? Maybe we'll have that conversation at some point. But for now, sign up for the text because as of right now, this is the perfect time because this is the time that's happening right now. 614-350-3315. For Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.